Our first reading is Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there didn't welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Our second reading tonight is from 1 John, chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Beautifully read. Let's... uh... Let's have a moment of quiet before we come to that passage, then I'll pray. Father, just uh, quieten our minds for the moment. Help us to listen to you speak to us as we uh, read your word and study it together. Amen. I don't know um, if any of you are thinking of Uh, what your degree course might be, anybody from KO, whatever, thinking what you might do next. Um, If you're thinking about doing archaeology, I'm going to save you some time. Uh, Because the only thing I remember from doing archaeology, which was my very useful degree, uh, was the three T's. Uh, And the three T's, if they're going to come up, there they are, are 
things take time. That is an entire Cambridge archaeology degree in three words. That was it. That's all I can remember anyway. Things take time. So if you want to understand what you're looking at in the earth, you need to understand that it takes a while for a piece of pottery to travel to where it is. It takes a, it takes a while for deposits to build up. It takes a while for cultures to develop and things to, things to move around. Things take time. And what's true in archaeology is also true in theology. Because with God, things take time. And sometimes we forget that, don't we? We kind of want instant answers. We might be going through difficult times personally and we think, well, why isn't God sorting this out? I'm praying about this. What's, what's happening? We've been having to wait all through this pandemic, haven't we? And it's been difficult waiting, wondering what God's up to. But when we sometimes, when we forget that God works in his own time, that can turn into doubt and disillusionment, can't it? The Ignatians, they have a phrase, they talk about God's slow time. That's the sort of thread that runs through these verses that we're going to look at now in in Luke 9. Um, And we're going to see things taking time, in particular in how God works with three different groups of people. Um, and I'm conveniently going to call them wholehearted, half-hearted, and hard-hearted. And with each of those groups of people, we'll see God at work, not in a terribly dramatic way, but just gently over time, changing hearts. And the context for this passage, for Luke 9, is actually something Ben set us up for uh, last week. Um, This is a change of gear in Luke's Gospel. You can see that, verse 51, that introduces our passage. Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. So this is Jesus starting his journey to Jerusalem that will lead to Easter, to crucifixion, to resurrection, and then, of course, through to the ascension. And, in fact, the whole of global history, the whole universe history, has revolved around this moment of Jesus setting off for Jerusalem to die for you and me. And you might expect that this is going to be a big moment great success, a big fanfare. But actually, it's a real damp squib, isn't it? It starts dreadfully. It's going to start with obstruction, rejection, misunderstanding, half-heartedness. It's all a bit disappointing. And yet we need to understand that in all that muddle and disappointment, we didn't despair because God is still at work. And we'll see that first, looking at the wholehearted ones. And the wholehearted people, perhaps surprisingly, are the ones who wholeheartedly, who wholeheartedly, who wholeheartedly, move the slide on. <laughs> there, there we go. Who wholeheartedly reject 
Jesus. Verse 52, look at that. Jesus is going to take the shortcut to Jerusalem through Samaria. Samaria pokes into Israel a bit like Brighton pokes into West Sussex. And Jesus wants to take the shortcut. Everybody did. Um, But it's a bit risky. Samaritans hated the Jews. Jews hated the Samaritans. Uh, Imagine now someone from Israel walking to Egypt through Gaza. It's that sort of risk that Jesus is taking. So there's a bit of risk management. He sends messages on ahead. You can see that. Check it's okay. Verse 53, he's told, no, you can't come through. Complete outright rejection of the Lord Jesus. What a flop. The big moment. Jesus setting off to Jerusalem. This is the moment that our salvation is going to be secured. And it just stops. I don't know whether any of you put any money on the Deliveroo listing, but if you did, you'll know what happened to that share price. Huge launch in the city. And a complete flop. And what does Jesus do about that? We'll look at verse 56. Well, he just goes somewhere else. He says he goes to another village. And, and that seems to be it, doesn't it? It's an odd little incident at the beginning of Jesus' mission. And rather a depressing start. And it's no wonder that, that James and John want something a little bit more dynamic. They want something a little bit more exciting, don't they? Verse 54, they're saying, come on, we want to destroy these people. Let's have a bit of action. Let's, let's, let's have a big launch. And actually, they're right. In some ways, their theology is right, isn't it? When we reject Jesus, we face death. The only way to heaven is through the Lord Jesus. So in some ways, their thinking is, 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 is very sound. But what does Jesus do? Well, he leaves the Samaritans in peace, doesn't he? And he just goes around another way. And you might think, well, in that case, it doesn't matter really whether I accept Jesus or not. It looks like it's fine to reject him. I just set my preferences to know Jesus and life carries on. Well, it's fascinating that this is not the end of the story. Luke starts this, this narrative with the rejection by the Samaritans. And he sort of flags the ascension, doesn't he? About the time when Jesus would be taken up. Well, what happens at the ascension? Is Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go and preach the gospel in Judea. And where, is they, where are they to go to next? It's Samaria. Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to go back there. Look at Acts chapter 8. That's what Philip does. He goes back to Samaria. And this time... I've got two clickers. Yeah! This time, completely different reaction. Acts 8. It says they listened to him with great joy and Samaria accepted the word. What a change. Rejection at the beginning of the mission... After the ascension, joyous acceptance. You know, this is people who a while ago seemed dead to Christ. 
over time have turned to him. You see, the disciples wanted instant results. This is kind of what the disciples wanted. But they had to wait. Maybe months, maybe years. 2 Peter 3 says, God is patient, wanting everyone to turn to him. Things take time. Now, I need to learn this. I guess we all need to learn this. I don't know what it's like for you, whether you've had any meals out yet post-lockdown. I realise the thing that I have missed is bad service. You know, you think, well, I'll have a pizza here, I'll have a coffee here. You know, the other day, at a certain gardens near us, which could be Wakehurst, but you couldn't name it, I waited 35 minutes for a cup of coffee. Couldn't believe it. 35 minutes. I can just about do nine minutes. Once I got into trouble on a motorway service station for going into the kitchen and offering to cook the fish myself. I was so fed up with waiting. And they uh, nearly threw me out. But that's kind of how we treat God, isn't it? We say, well, we're patient. Yes, we understand God's time. We'll be patient. We'll wait. But nine minutes later, we say, come on. I've given you enough time. What's going on? We have to learn, don't we, to trust in God's own time with table. And in this passage, just because someone is rejecting God now, does not mean that's the end of the story. We can keep praying that folk will still turn to the Lord. And it may be that you're listening to this um, under sort of your force to, because your parents are sitting next to you or something, um, and, and you're sort of going through the motions. And actually in your heart, you are rejecting Jesus now. Well, do you know you are allowed to change your mind? That's what the Samaritans did. You can change your mind. And you are given a certain amount of time to do it. You've got this life to do it. So this may be a good opportunity to say, actually, hmm, I could change my mind. Maybe that's a prayer. Lord, help me to change my mind. If God is giving you that chance, then you need to take it. So those are the folk who are wholehearted. Wholehearted rejection becomes wholehearted acceptance. Um, Phil did this this morning, so it's obviously a good precedent for doing this. And we're going to jump a few verses and just have a look at what's happening in verse 57 to 61. Because here we're dealing with half-hearted people. And again, you see the same thing. Jesus is giving people time to work out the response. Just look at these verses, 57 to 62. Various people uh, are engaging with Jesus about following him. And in each group, or each one, there seems to be a particular problem. So 57 and and, and 58 um, seems to be something about the person's lifestyle. Jesus says, I've got no bed to sleep, and it's not going to be necessarily comfortable following me. Your lifestyle will be affected if you follow me, says Jesus. 59 and 60, we get this rather odd uh, response about wanting to go and bury my father. That seems to be something about doing the decent thing. 
society expects me to do the burial rites and go through a period of mourning or whatever it is. We're not exactly clear. But it's something like that. I need to fit in with what people think. I need to fit in with society. And Jesus rejects it. And then the last one. I want to say goodbye to my family. Verse 61, 62. We're worried about how this following Jesus might affect my family. And if you look at all three of those, Jesus just leaves it hanging, doesn't he? It's a bit unsatisfactory, really. I wonder how you or I would respond. We were just chatting earlier about some of the conversations we're having on Alpha. Um, And it's very tempting to say, um, well, look, uh, let's just come along anyway. All right, and we'll work these things out as we go along. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll work out your family relationships. Uh, don't worry about giving up a lifestyle for the moment. Um, we'll just see how the Spirit leads over the years. Jesus doesn't do that, does he? But actually, neither is there flat rejection. And I think that's quite deliberate. It's left there with us to think about, to work it through in our own lives. I don't know recently um, whether you've been down swimming. Um, I'm sure you have. It's lovely, balmy, warm weather. Uh, But do you know the amount of notices the council have stuck up there to make you think about things before you're allowed to put your toe in the water? So they warn you about the groins. They warn you about the dogs. Uh, There's notices up about the sea temperature and the water quality. Um, There's stuff about whether there's a lifeguard on duty. So many things to think about before you dip your toe in the briny, before you commit yourself, before you take the plunge. Well, that's sort of what Jesus is doing here, isn't he? He's saying this is a big decision, following the Lord Jesus. Think it through. And that's something we continue to think about, isn't it? Some of us have been following Lord Jesus for many years. But it's still a challenge, isn't it? Where are we half-hearted? I think Jesus is saying we need to take time. We need to reflect on these things. Where are we not giving Jesus the priority that he demands? Because... Following Jesus affects our lifestyle. Putting it bluntly, if you're having the same holidays as everybody is around you, how's it affecting your wallet? If, if you're not speaking out with different views, I mean, the church at the moment is very keen on talking about eco stuff uh, and, and slavery uh, 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 and Black Lives Matter, but actually that's not countercultural, is it? That is the way the culture is going. But when it comes to things like marriage and gender, sexual ethics, well, we're not going to fit in with society. And we need to be ready for that. Jesus says, you are going to be countercultural. And when it comes to our families, well, I don't know. Sometimes I look at our dresser got so many pictures of the family on it it's almost like a shrine got to be careful haven't we 
Jesus comes before our families. And Jesus says to these folk, think it through. Take your time. Big commitment following me. And we need to keep revisiting that. I need to revisit my glass of water. So, we have got wholehearted, we've got half-hearted, and then we've got the hard-hearted. That's the things take time thing. Um, now, the hard-hearted one, now this is a bit sad to be honest, the hard-hearted one is Jesus' best friend. It's Jesus' follower. It's John. It's John in verse 54, can you see that? Who wants to destroy the Samaritans for their attitude. It's a sort of Dalek theology. Going to exterminate them. Because they're not on our side. They're not prepared to listen to the message. I mean, John here comes over as hard-hearted, as judgmental. I think pretty arrogant. If he thinks he can call down fire from heaven. I mean, perhaps it's touching faith in, in the Lord Jesus. But it's a bit strong, isn't it? And John's got a bit of a track record here. Ben touched on this last week too. Um, it was John who wanted to put up barriers. Say, nobody else can talk about Jesus but us. It's a kind of exclusive club. And it's actually John who's involved in that little coup that we just touched on again last week. Who's going to be number one in the kingdom? That was John again. I think the theological term for John is that he was a bit of a git. He really, I don't think, was very nice. He's self-opinionated, self-righteous. And we think, well, we're not like that. That's all right. But I wonder what other people think of us. How do other people see us? Do we come over as loving? Or do we come over as judgmental? Like John does here. Well, the great news is that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And he is changing us. And he changes us over time. We don't have a personality transplant, do we? The moment we put our faith in the Lord Jesus. That Jesus does change us over time. Now, there are lots of ways he does that. And uh, that's beyond the scope, really, of, of this evening. But there is one specific thing that happens here that we could look at. And that's Jesus' response to John's suggestion. Look at verse 55. He doesn't laugh off John's suggestion, say, silly boy. He doesn't do a little mental note and say, I must pick that up in his appraisal at the end of term. Look at verse 55. Jesus turned and rebuked him. Greek word is a strong one. He censured him. This was a real ticking off for this suggestion. You know, this is raining fire. This is what John wanted to do. It's not much fun being rebuked, is it? 
I don't know, when you were last rebuked, uh, perhaps an angry parent being back late once too many often. Perhaps the uh, angry head teacher. Perhaps that moment when the police start reading out your rights as you get arrested. It's only happened to me one and a half times, but it's a nasty moment. But imagine that it's not a headmaster, or it's not the parent, and it's not the police, but it's the creator God rebuking us. And I guess John didn't even realise he'd done anything wrong. He thought he was being very, very sound. But Jesus needed John to change. He needed John to understand that he'd come as his saviour. He needed John to understand that he had his own plan for the Samaritans. It wasn't John's plan, but Jesus had his own plan of how the Samaritans were going to be saved. And I suspect that this sort of incident was the beginning of that change that we all need to experience as we follow the Lord. Because John certainly does change. I think it's amazing. It can't just be coincidence. Read a bit more into Acts chapter 8. Philip goes back, preaches to the Samaritans. The next disciple to go there, who's sent there, is John. John, the one who wanted to rain down fire, is the one who is sent down this time to bring the fire of the Holy Spirit. He goes there specifically so that they can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a great link on Pentecost. And it's the Spirit, I guess, who's at work in John's life. And in his old age, John reads, writes those wonderful words that Judith read earlier, full of expressing God's love for us and what that meant. Probably some of the most famous words ever written about God's love. And they're written by a man who years earlier thought God's idea was fire and brimstone and destruction. It's a huge change, isn't it? And early on, it involves this rebuke. Hebrews 12 says, God rebukes those he loves. We ought to get rid of Will Hay, shouldn't we? So here's a question. Have you ever been rebuked by Jesus? Just think about that for a moment. That's what's happening to John. That's what Hebrews says happens to us. Have you, are you open to the Lord's rebuke? I don't mean someone very kindly coming up to you after the service and sorting you out. I mean in the quietness of your heart, perhaps in a quiet time as you read scripture. Because when Jesus turns and rebukes, he is disciplining us for our own good. Hebrews carries on to say it leads to a harvest of peace and righteousness. So actually we should be looking for the Lord's rebuke. We should be saying, as I look back on yesterday, or I look back on the last five minutes, Lord, where do you need 
to rebuke me? Where do I need to grow and change? And over time, the Lord makes us fit for heaven. It takes time. And it involves all those other things in John's life. But it just may or it just should perhaps involve that moment of rebuke when we need to be open to that experience in our own lives. Well, I don't know where you put yourself in this story. Um, I don't know whether you're wholehearted rejection, wholehearted acceptance. I don't know whether you're half-hearted. I don't know whether you're hard-hearted. You're probably like me, a mixture of all of those. It probably changes every ten minutes. But the great thing, the great encouragement, the thread running through this is Jesus has a plan. It may be a slow working, but wherever we are, he can accept those who reject him. He can help us commit to him, 100%. And he can soften hard hearts. And we can be sure, even if we don't see God working, very obviously, we can be sure that if we trust him, he will be working. Luke 9. It tells us that God works a bit like archaeology. That with God, things take time. Let's just pray. And then Trevor's going to carry on praying for us. Lord, we just thank you that you are a merciful God. Thank you that you've given so many of us time to turn to you. Help us to use the time you've given us now, either to turn to you or to grow in you to allow your Holy Spirit to work in our lives to make us more the people you would want us to be. Amen.